Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you today? Want to welcome? Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. We're excited this morning. Want to welcome everyone to the final week of our grand opening, introducing the community to our new building. Thank you for joining us and celebrating with us. It's been a phenomenal three weeks. We're glad you joined us this morning. We're gonna. We're in week three of our current teaching series. May the force be with you. Now, for our guests who are with us. You just walked in, and it was Darth Vader and Chewbacca and Stormtroopers and Princess Leia, and you're like, what the heck is this, you know? Did I just come into a church? You did. We, we are a fun bunch, and a church is a bunch of people who love God, right? Now, in this series, what we're doing, and what you've walked into is that we're, we're identifying the spiritual themes in the movie Star Wars, and we're teaching you what the Bible says about those themes, I think first week was when God blows up our plans. Last week was compromise. Next week, don't miss next week. It's the conclusion of the series. We got a special treat, a surprise. We're going to be give, having giveaways in the, uh, in the kids' ministries areas. Uh, so I encourage you to get out there, invite your friends, invite your family. We want to keep this going. Have your children and your grandchildren dress up in Star Wars characters. Some of the kids have been doing that on their own. They've been having a ton of fun out there. Don't miss next week. Now today... We're going to pull a theme from episode three, Revenge of the Sith. So the title gives it away. It's not like some romantic tearjerker, right? If you don't follow the Star Wars movies, that's okay. You're not going to get lost. You will be able to follow what we're teaching today. All right, here we go, jumping into the movie. In Revenge of the Sith, Anakin Skywalker is a Jedi. Those are the good guys. And Anakin has a bright future ahead of him because he's the chosen one. He's the one that's been prophesied about that he's going to bring balance to the force, kind of balance between good and evil. Now, throughout the movie, we see that Anakin is increasingly consumed by fear that his secret love, Padme Amidala, who's a senator, that she's going to die. Now, Palpatine is a corrupt chancellor, kind of like a president, whose power is growing rapidly. And that's, and as all politicians have vices, or most of them do, so does Palpatine. And that's what he looks like after he smoked too much weed and had too many monster drinks. Right? Some people applauded that, right? Okay. The, what, what we're trying to say is, is that he's also a Sith Lord. I believe it's Darth Sidious. And me, that means he's one of the bad guys. And he wants to kill the Jedi. He wants to take down the Republic, which the Jedi has vowed to give their life to protect. Now, a big part of his plan to accomplish this is to get Anakin Skywalker to turn to the dark side. And what he's banking on, what he's counting on, is that Anakin would succumb to his fears, fears of losing the one he loves, fears of losing control of his future. As the combat escalates across the galaxy, the stage is set for this explosive endgame a conflicted Anakin tormented by fear that is created by his thoughts of his future edges dangerously closer to the brink of a galaxy-shaping decision, a decision that will change his life forever, a decision that will change the lives of those he loves forever. The turning point for the entire Star Wars saga is at hand. All right, so the theme that we're going to pull out of this movie, Revenge of the Sith, is fear. That's right, fear. A good old, not-so-good friend, fear. 
So a few years back, I'm in Emerald Isle, North Carolina. It, it sounds nice, and it's even nicer than it sounds if you ever get there. It's the southernmost part of the Outer Banks. Now, it's a very tranquil island, calm, peaceful. If you like ocean and beaches, it's a great place to visit. Well, one morning, I'm driving along the road that runs parallel to the ocean, and Jim Murphy, some of you know Jim, he's sitting in the passenger seat next to me in the vehicle. And I, uh, and there are kind of like, you know, I noticed, just quickly in the corner of my eye, I noticed this quaint, small mobile home park, but it's really picturesque. It's so bright and pretty and landscaped, and it's oceanside, man. I've never seen anything like that before. And as I see that, quickly I see an entrance to the mobile home park. So I turn quickly into it, and there's kind of a slope, and I start to go down the slope, and all of a sudden I see this, like, white flash, this white blur, and then BAM! In the front of my car, and then BOOM! On the windshield, and it was... Yeah, in your life a seagull, in my life it was a security gate of the complex. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I crashed into the security gate. All right, so I'm a bit rattled. And now you'd hope that Jim, who's sitting next to me, would like do a Jedi move, like, you know, to protect me from injury, from the crash, or jump on me. But he wasn't exactly Jedi Jim in this day. So, the, so it, it kind of happened like this. I see this blur, and then I hear this like screaming to my, you know, to my right, and in my peripheral vision, I see Jim kind of throwing his hands up to his face, putting his knees up under his chin, like this kind of fetal position, you know? I didn't even know the guy's that flexible. <laughs> kind of like a grub, you know, when you touch a grub and it just crawls up into a ball. So simultaneously, while he's transitioning into this yoga position, He's saying these words, and, and they're dirty words. They're not nice. <laughs> and not a lot of them, but like maybe two or three of them. And the thing is, at the end of that string of two or th three dirty words, he says, Pastor. And like, you know, it just doesn't fit. It's like an oxymoron, like uh, jumbo shrimp, hot ice, bleep, bleep, pastor. It's just a bad fit, right? <laughs> well, matter of fact, I think that all this yelling and body movements and, and dirty worries and all of that distracted me. Otherwise, I think I would have collected myself and got out of the way. I mean, I'm a New York driver. I can do this stuff. That's why we drive the way we do. And, but, you know, but unfortunately, I was distracted and boom, I crashed into the security gate. So, fortunately, no one was in the security booth. That would have been ugly because it did rattle that baby something fierce, right? So what's the takeaway from this incident? Well, we see Jim was overwhelmed with fear. That's what we want to take away from the incident. Now, some of you might say, well, it's kind of reasonable. And, you know, but if you really get how this played out, you'll realize that it goes beyond that. You see, in the coming days and weeks and months and years, Jim won't get into a car if I'm driving the car <laughs> to this day. He doesn't, like, verbally protest it, but he manipulates situations to make sure that he's driving the car. He'll go out of his way. He'll do everything he can to make sure that I am not driving the vehicle, huh? And that's kind of what we're talking about today, you know? That's how we're discussing fear. But in our thoughts, how that affects our feelings and that affects the way we behave. Fear. A description of fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger, an anxious concern. So we have these thoughts. We can be aware of these thoughts. Sometimes we're 
not very mindful of them, though. That doesn't mean they're subconscious. It means we've gotten used to them. Like that security gate, they just blend so well with the horizon, right, with the landscape. But they're there, and they are very real, and they can be very disruptive, such a hindrance to us going in a good direction. And at times, they'll be more than disruptive. They will cause a crash in our lives. They will cause damage to our lives. Some of our fears are created by thoughts related to our current difficulties and problems and struggles. Some are fears that are attached to things that's happened to our past, pains and issues from our past. Either way, the fear is very real and very influential in our lives. I think the two most present emotions I see in people's lives, and I've been doing this over 20 years in ministry, is love and fear, right? I think it's Yoda that says, careful you, and what happens is, and here's the sad irony of this, is that often the people we have a great love for, from those relationships, so much fear can come. Fear they're going to leave me, right? Fear can I trust them? Fear can I pay for her wedding? Fear can I pay for the college? Fear can we uh, retire and have enough money? Fear, are they going to do something in life? Fear, right? That's what happens. And we get so consumed and influenced by that, these fearful thoughts, these thoughts that cause this powerful emotion, fear, it kind of affects how we act. We're distracted and we don't focus and understand and enjoy those we love so much. Of course, we're now split and divided as a person between fear and love in the lives of those we love. I think it's Yoda that says, careful you must be when sensing the future. The fear of loss is the path to the dark side. Smart little green guy, huh? A lot of fear, I believe, not all, but a lot, results from a lack of trust. See, I lead my life from a spiritual perspective. I really do lead my life. I'm not always a spiritual dynamo. I'm probably rarely a spiritual dynamo, but, <laughs> but I do live my life from a spiritual perspective. I believe that there is good and there is evil. For those of you who don't believe there is evil, I, I don't know what to say, you know? Open your eyes, your ears, look around. I mean, man, there's evil, right? And if there's evil, there must be good. And if there's good, there must be evil. The two are connected. And I believe that the good comes from God and the evil comes from Satan. And Satan is God's adversary. I believe as human beings, we have this unique ability to a high degree to have conscience and empathy like no other of all creation. I think that's just a fact. It's not even my opinion. Now, I've mentioned several times up here uh, comments from Bill Nye, the science uh, guy, right? Might even be Dr. Bill Nye. Now, I just want to let you know, I think the man's accomplished, intelligent, um, very educated. He's commanded some incredible audiences. I think well of all that. I think I could learn some things from uh, Bill Nye, and I think you could too. But I want to show you a clip where Bill Nye is answering a question from a college student. It's kind of, it's kind of been sent in via digital, right? And it's regarding where conscience and empathy come from, the origins of conscience and empathy. And you'll see that I think empathy is, is deep within us. As to its origins, that's a great one. I'm not sure where it came from. Like uh, dogs like to hang out together. I've seen gerbils, mice and uh, hamsters hang out together, pref seem to prefer each other's company. 
So I think if whatever that thing is that makes you or leads you to prefer one another's company must have must be connected with the ability to feel what someone else, another organism is feeling. It's a great question. And it gets back to this deep thing, the nature of consciousness. Are we that different from other animals that we seem to be able to know that we are aware of our surroundings? We seem to be able to know that we're going to die. We seem to be able to know what another one of our fellow humans is feeling or thinking. Where did that come from? These are deep neurological questions, and perhaps you will be the neuroscientist who answers this problem, and we could then create uh, ways to help each other live better lives. Okay, so Bill Nye is an agnostic. He thinks that you can't prove there is a God, you can't prove there isn't a God. Uh, he uh, speaks more to evolution. For the most part, I don't, he doesn't believe in God, right? And now we're talking about this, where does conscience come from? We have an idea where, physically where we come from. I mean, I do, I do bad with this, whether it's this amoeba or this cell, whatever. I'm, I'm just not even going to go there. I'm going to muck it up. If my kids were here, I'd ask for help. We have this, at least not that we, but Bill Nye and other scientists would prescribe to this way of evolution, and they would do so articulately and, I think, well-stated from their circle. But where does conscience come from? Where does empathy come from? And what Bill is saying is, I don't know, right? Maybe you could find out. Maybe, hey, you, right there, yeah, you little, you can find out. But I don't know where it comes from, right? Sorry I put you on the spot there. Right? He's talking about animals and mice, and what he's really saying is we don't have a clue where empathy and conscience comes from. Well, you know what? God's Word tells us exactly where it comes from. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So we experience this conscience and we have this empathy because we are living beings created by a living God. I believe there is a God. I believe with all my heart that God is the Father, that Jesus is the Son, and that there is the Holy Spirit. I believe this is our great source of comfort. I believe that because it lines up with Genesis 1.26 where it says, God said, let us, us, Make man in our image. That word us implies relationship. It replies a unity. It implies intimacy. Isn't that fascinating that we need relationship, that we need intimacy? I See, that it lines up for me so well. My God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit is an intimate, relational God, and that's who I am. It just, and you know what blows my mind? Because I'm a critical thinker. I'm saying, okay, so this book was written 5,000 years ago. I'm picturing some guy in like a cave swanting bats away, trying to carve like something in a stone wall or whatever, or scratching in the dirt. He's got no point of reference. He's got no electricity. He's got no encyclopedia. He's got no Google. How does he come up with such intelligent Stuff that relates to where I am right now that is so consistent to who I am. How did he do that? Or she, how did it happen? 
it had to be the inspiration of the one true God. That has to be a God thing, yes? So I believe in God. And I believe that everything that happens in my life comes through the hands of God. See, God wants each of us to bring us to a place where we trust Him. I trust God. I don't always trust God minute to minute, but when all is said and done, I land on trusting God. He is always concerned for my welfare. He is always concerned for your welfare. Whatever that's happening in our lives, it is purposed. It is ordained by God. You see, there is a God and there is a Satan. And fear's purpose is not ultimately to discomfort you, to distract you, to even cause you damage. Fear is all about getting you to say yes to hell and no to heaven. It's about keeping you away from your heavenly Father, who is the source of comfort, of assurance, of confidence, and of courage, all the antithesis and the antidote to fear. Go to your heavenly Father. Trust in God. Now, man, if you struggle with trusting God, I have too. You're in good company here. We struggle. We're at Cheer City Church. We struggle with trusting in God at times. Yes, we do. But you're not, you're not alone. God knew that we would struggle. It's why he gives us what we call the Bible, these incredible truths that have stood the test of time. And we're going to look into one of those books, a letter, the book of Matthew, it's the first book of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is two books, the Old Testament, everything before Jesus, and the New Testament from the birth of Jesus and the beginning of the church. Boom, right out, first book, the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll put the words up on the screen. Now, in this story, we could learn things we can keep a way of thinking that we can keep at the forefront of our minds if we're going to overcome our fears and live a life of faith in Jesus, live a life of trusting rather than, say, insecurity, instability, inconsistency. All right, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27 says, Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked, that, he, that even the winds and the waves obey him? So we said earlier that fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation, awareness of danger, a sense of anxiousness, of anxiety. Something's going wrong. We think something's going wrong. We perceive something's not well. And we can either go to fear or we can go to faith. And here's what you need to know. Going to faith does not mean there's not a real issue at hand. It doesn't mean there's not a problem. Not at all. It, it doesn't mean stuff's not happening because stuff happens, Yes. What it says is, what it means is you come to a place of assurance and of comfort and of courage in the midst of the problems and the pain. Huh? Those that are right before us and those that we've been carrying, huh? For years and years and years. That loss, that regret, that moment of isolation or humiliation. Huh? Now the one way to do it, that faith will overcome fear, 
the one way to do that is to believe there is purpose in your storm. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 24, it says, Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now you see further back in the same chapter, verse 18, we learn that it was Jesus himself who instructed the disciples to get into the boat. It was Jesus himself who told them to go out to the lake and to go to the other side. So we know that the disciples were in the process of trusting in and following Jesus. You see, there was a purpose. He had a reason for bringing them out there. There is a purpose in every storm. I have never gone through a difficulty, regardless of the degree in my life, since I've known Christ and not been able to clearly see there was a purpose for that storm. The purpose of the disciple storm was to grow in their faith in Jesus, to realize that, oh, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. You might remember reading in the Bible about a man named Job. Maybe you haven't read about Job, but you've heard about Job. Fairly familiar guy, right? Job's storm wasn't in the water, but it was a storm nonetheless. Job lost his health, his wealth, but God allowed the storm for a purpose. Job's experience taught him that we don't always have the answer to the question, why? As a minister, I hear that question, why? And it's not often said in a calm way. It's laced with anger, frustration, pain. Why? Why? Why did this happen to me? Why is this happening to me? The much more important question to answer is not why, but who? Who? When we're in a storm, we need to know who will be with us through the storm. Don't focus on the why, focus on the who. Who will help us? Who will comfort us? Who will deliver us? And the answer to that question is God. God will comfort us. God will strengthen us. God will deliver us. God has a purpose, and there is purpose in that storm, and when we get to the other side of it, God will reveal that to us. We will see that, and we will encounter redemption. God will not waste our pain. He will use it all for His glory and for His purpose. God has a purpose through the storm. You know, when I, um, it's you, it's really, this is so significant for you to latch onto. When you have pain, when you struggle, Think about purpose. I remember when I, um, oh, I was about 23 years old, and I've talked to some of you about this, I believe, and uh, I just was in that place, you know, where, you know, I was looking for boldness. I was, you know, I wasn't going to college. I wasn't really, I didn't have a job. Shoot, I didn't have much going on, really, at that time. Uh, and so I had to create something, you know. You go out, you meet a girl, you're hanging out with people. What are you going to talk about, you know? So I figured, I know, I'll go skydiving. I mean, no, I mean I'm, in, I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Nobody goes skydiving in Brooklyn, New York. I don't even think many people go skydiving around here. So I'm going to go and do it. So I go there, and uh, it's a long class, like four hours, right? Long, three and a half, four hours. And, you know, there's a few things that stand out to me. Let's see. One is at the opening of the class. The, one was the class was four hours long. The second, I think, was that at the opening of the class, they said, the guy assures us not to worry. They've... they've never, ever lost anyone in 23 years. They've always found the bodies, right? That's what I was... I, 
And then the next thing he did was he kind of went into this life kind of a discourse passionately about what we were about to do, we would never forget. Like, listen, you need to understand, I don't know why you came here, but this is what you're going to do, you will never, ever forget it. You will talk about it for years and years. You'll be 50 and still talking about it, okay? He said, you'll be able to brag like crazy about it. You will be like the conversation piece of the party, man, right? And, and that doesn't sound too deep, but at 23, that's about as deep as I got. So I had a purpose, right? And I think it was, um, you know, and so I turn around and uh, we go up. There's, I think, four people in the plane. We go up 3,500, or 3,500 feet. That's a lot. I mean, if you live in a one-story house, I think that's like 14 feet. You go up, you're like, whoa, right? Two stories, you're like 26, I think, and you're like, oh, this is 3,500 feet we're in the air, right? And there's about four people plus the jump master and, and, uh, and uh, it's a woman, the assistant, they're working together. And I see the thing about me is the first thing that kind of shocked me and intimidated me in the class was that I thought, hey, look, I can do this. I'm just going to get in a plane, going to go up in the air, going to close my eyes, I'm going to jump out of the plane, my parachute will open up, It'll be a little crazy. Man, who's better than me? I got something to talk about, right? Can't wait to go tonight, knock down a few beers, and tell everybody my great story, right? And I might even get lucky. Who knows? Okay, right. So, just share it with you. You know, hey, the, uh, the mind of a deranged, deprived, and ungodly man at 23 years old, huh? So, uh, well, what, blew, what really shook me was that you don't just jump out of the plane. You, you have to step on a platform and then after you step on the platform, you, 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 yeah, you gotta, like, you st- then you gotta reach up to the bottom of the wing. There's a bar, and you gotta shimmy your way out under the wing on this bar to the end of the wing. It's like probably to about right here somewhere. And, and then you hang there, man, you know? And so I'm thinking, oh, I, I can't do this. And, they see, and I'm not the only one who has that look on their face. And right away, what does the guy do? Purpose, man. You, you, this is gonna be awesome. You'll talk about it. No one you know has ever done this, right? You know anybody? And it's just, okay, we're going to do this. Well, we get up there, shoom, 3,500 feet. So the way that you jump out is by weight. I'm the lightest in the plane, so I go last. Every time the door opens up, I'm just looking right down, man. I got a little, I got a little stain on it. It's right where I am. I'm staring down at the floor. My turn comes. I shift over. They tell you, whatever you do, don't look down. The side of the plane opens up. There's nowhere else to look but down. And so I'm like, oh, man, like this sick feeling comes over me like, whoa. I had never seen 3,500 feet down before. And so, uh, and so I look at, the, I look, I look at the, uh, the assistant, the jump master assistant. I'm like, yeah, just, no, nah, no way. And what does she do? She goes right to the narrative. Come on, you can, this is going to be incredible. This is great. You're going to talk about this forever. Don't give this up. This is a great opportunity. And I'm like, okay, my purpose. Fear, purpose, purpose is winning. I get out. I, I look up. I step on the uh, platform. I jump up. I grab the bar. Okay. And now I'm looking at the bottom of the wing. Good. It's better than, better than looking 3,500 feet down. I shimmy out onto the end. And I'm like trying not to pay attention that I'm flopping in, in the breeze, man. Plane's doing 120 miles an hour. <laughs> Next time you do 120 on the highway, which I hope you don't, put your hand out the window and... <laughs> And I'm, and I'm holding on. I look over, and what they tell you is when you look at the spot, there's a round black spot, look at it, then look to the jump master. He'll give you the thumbs up, and you let go. So I look at the spot. I look at him. He's like this. I'm like, no way, man. I am not letting go. There's no way in the world that I am letting go. 
I'll find something else to talk about in the bar. I don't care. I'm not letting go. Well, so what he does is he, so I see two images. The jump master starts pointing to his boot. And what he's saying is he, they told us in the class, if you don't let go, we'll come out and kick you off. And right there, his right, though, is my purpose. And that's his assistant saying, yeah, 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 she's like, you can do it. She's like, got hands up. She's doing this. Finally, I'm pretty sure it was the purpose thing. I just let go and boom. I mean, it, it was insane. And my body's flying through the air and tipping and my chute doesn't open up. And then it does open up. I think I half passed out. I come to. Next thing you know, I'm probably at about 3,000 feet and I'm just hanging out in the air and I'm like, it was, it was incredible, right? I actually went off course for some distance because I wasn't paying attention to him on the uh, walkie-talkie. So what happened, man, you know? I, uh, I realized that there was purpose. You know, the purpose overcame my fear in that case. Well, when we have better thoughts and better feelings regarding our perspective of the past or present difficulties and pain and troubles, we can win. We can overcome. It will be okay, my friends. The best is yet to come, yes? And that's how I want to continue living out my life, knowing that God loves me, that God who I do believe, I believe it experientially, I believe it intellectually, I believe it emotionally that there is a God and that he has a purpose and a plan for me and it doesn't always jive with me. We talked about first, God blows up our plans. It actually often does not. But I trust him no matter what. It's not the why, it's the who. And my who is Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Another way to overcome your fear and to live by faith is to keep in the forefront of your mind there is no storm Jesus cannot calm. Yeah. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26 through 27 Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked? Even the winds and waves obey him. Now, you want to remember that the disciples, the guys that are in the boats, they're professional fishermen, most of them. They have sailed these very seas hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. It's what they did day in and day out. I'm sure it wasn't the first time they're caught in a storm. And especially since they didn't have, like, you know, is it going to rain today, right? What's the satellite look like? No, they didn't have any of those instruments. So I'm confident that they got caught in some pretty rough storms, but nothing like this one, right? This was a crazy storm. And what does the Bible say? It says that Jesus simply spoke to the storm, and it didn't calm down. It went away. There is no storm that Jesus cannot calm. There is nothing going in your life that he cannot, in his timing, in God's will, remove from your life. There is no problem too big for Jesus. Even our biggest problems appear small to God. When we find ourselves in a storm, we're to cry out to Jesus for help, yes? But I want you to listen to this. The disciples... They cried out, but they cried out in fear. Don't cry out in fear, rather cry out in faith. You see the difference? Cry out in faith to God. 
I've told you I do this before. When I come to the end of myself, I just sit there and cry out, God, I need you. God, I just need you. What that means is I have messed this up. I can't find start. I'm overwhelmed emotionally. Just, God, I need you. And what I'm saying is, I know what you know what's best. I'm surrendering to you. I'm going to trust you now. God, I need you. God, help me. I have trust and faith and confidence that I have found my true north again, that God is with me. I am comforted from this way of discoursing and talking to God. I'm not speaking ugliness into my brain, but God, Holy Spirit, is speaking freedom into me, right? And now I can move forward and find freedom again, yes? And freedom from fear. Oh, fear dogs me. Oh, it's much, much, much better. I'd imagine I'll battle it to the end of my life, but early on in my life and through much of my time, even my 20s, even after I met Christy, it was a huge problem for me because I came from such brokenness and depravity and death early on to loved ones in my life. So there was fear of loss. There was fear of, uh, of worth. There was fear of the future. I, I, it just, it's how it was. But now I have this new way of thinking and seeing and feeling, and I love it, and I cherish it. And I know there is nothing that happens in my life, no storm that Jesus cannot calm. The disciples are crying out, Lord, save us. They're, they're praying, but they're praying in fear rather than in faith. They're talking to God, but from a place of fear, huh? And when you do that, generally, you just look for a temporary relief where then you can go back to now carrying out your plan, your agenda, and taking control. And that just is messy, huh? Don't be confused. Jesus didn't bring firm correction to the, his disciples for disturbing him with their prayers, but for disturbing themselves with their fears, yes? Uh, we disturb. What did he say, Darth Your faith, I find your faith disturbing. Okay. Lack of faith. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Darth Vader finds your lack of faith disturbing. I think Jesus found your lack of faith disturbing. And that's why he brought firm but loving and caring correction to them, to bring them to faith. When we call out to God in faith, as they did so, as when we call out to God not in fear but faith, we can know Acts chapter 2, verse 21, which says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that's talking to eternal life. That's talking to what we call salvation. And that's significant. I was talking to my kids this morning in a morning devotion about, I think we were in 1 Timothy 6, 12, and it talks about holding on to heaven in, in, in certain ways and taking a hold of heaven and how that heaven's got to mean something to us. That in our darkest, most difficult moments, we've got to be able to plug in to heaven plug into the thought that all of this ultimately is about being with our Father who created us forever. That's just got to float our boat. That's got to mean something to us. Yes, it does. This is what we can call out and know that we have eternal life. So the circumstances, the details of the circumstances truly can be scary as you sit there and you do the math. Can I make these payments? What will happen three years from now? Will we stay together? Is this child going to be healthy or not healthy? I mean, it, it goes, you know, will we be able to retire? It goes on and on and on and on. The details are scary. And we've got a decision to make. 
Will we focus on the storm and all the scary details? Or will we focus on the Savior? Will we focus on Jesus Christ? When we focus on the storm, the past and present troubles are magnified. They're exaggerated. We tend to make things worse. Worship team, why don't you come up? We're going to close it out. Scott Peck wrote a book, The Road Less Traveled. It's one of the first books I read on kind of like psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. And it just, it's an awesome book. It's from the 70s. Um, he was sort of probably a little bit, I think he, was a, he, he, didn't, he believed in God. He just didn't know who God was. And when he just couldn't profess to a particular God, but he believed there was no disconnect between the spirit and the mind. After seeing like 20,000 patients, he's like, I'm confident of this. There is a God, there is a spirit, and it's connected to the human mind. I mean, it's part of the human, you know, uh, makeup. So he opens up his book with two words, life is difficult. Now, what makes life difficult, he says, is dealing and confronting problems and pain. Do you have problems and pain in your life? I do. Yet he's saying that right here in dealing with our problems and pain is where we find so much of life's meaning. He says our problems call out, call out of us all our courage and all our wisdom. It's in our problems, he says, that we grow mentally and spiritually. I believe that, but I believe you see this and experience this when you're coming from a place of trust and a place of faith, not fear. He says, most people run from the pain. This is profound. Most people run from pain. I will add, most people are provoked by fear to run from pain. Scott says, people go to great lengths to avoid the pain or problems of life, and in doing so, create alternatives to avoid dealing with the pain that comes from life's difficulty. He says the substitute that they create itself ultimately becomes more painful than the, than the legitimate suffering it was designed to avoid. You get that? Here was one problem that big. It was painful. It was difficult. They had all these thoughts about how it could turn out ugly. They started to get these feelings, fear, and they acted out in a way, and in doing so, they created a bigger problem. Whoa! Versus trusting in the one who created them, the one who has plan and purpose through this whole mess for them, huh? something greater, and coming through that and becoming stronger, more aware of who they are, more understanding of life. Don't focus on the pain, or I'd say don't focus on the pain, don't focus on the scary details that are connected to your problems. Don't pay attention and focus on the perceived loss that's coming, the consequences. Otherwise, you will magnify them. In the movie Revenge of the Sith, that's exactly what Anakin does in his life. He's having these overwhelming thoughts of Padme dying, and he's dwelling on them, and he lives in fear of this. He lives in fear of not being able to control the future. And what happens? He is the one who winds up killing. Spoiler alert. He is the one who winds up killing Padme. Huh? Will we focus on the storm and all the scary details? Or will we focus on Jesus? The same power that Jesus used to calm the storm and still his disciples' fear is available to us who live here today. The story gives us great reason to put our trust in Jesus Christ, to put our faith in Jesus. Clearly, he has dominion over all of creation we can place our trust in him. 
So when you go through a storm, maybe you're in one now, maybe you walked in here today in a storm, maybe there's pain and difficulty dogging you from last year, from 15, 20, from years of isolation, of loss, of humiliation, of uncertainty. Maybe today when you look out at the end of the day, today you are the end of the week or the end of the month, there's uncertainty and difficulty and, and there's stress there. I want you to remind yourself of two things and you want you to stand with me as we close this out. I want you to remind yourself today that there is purpose in my storm. Why don't you say that with me? There is purpose in my storm. I want you to remind yourself that there is no storm Jesus can't calm. Why don't you say that with me? There is no storm. That's good. Man, you were ahead of me, man. Felt like Lecrae for a second, you know. Chris Tomlin, Lecrae, all these conscious. I'm too old for all these conscious, man. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you for not leaving it only up to us to figure out fear on our own, oh God. Thank you for giving us this direction and this guidance, oh God, this morning that we can have purpose in these difficulties, that, that there's a reason for all of this and, and that you are in control, oh God, and we can just surrender to you this morning. God Almighty, we need you, God. We say it from faith. We say it from the depth of our heart. We need you, and we have great expectations that you will bring calmness and comfort even right now as we speak your name, Jesus. Bring calm to our storms. I want to talk to those right now with heads bowed, those who have not come to a place of trusting in God, of having confidence in Jesus and what he did on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, those who don't think and dwell about eternal life and being right and whole with God, about having peace with God. There's a part in the movie where Padme, he's pregnant with these two twins and she's, she kind of gives her life, she loses her life and the two babies survive. It's so sad, but we have this picture of what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed himself, he gave his life so that we could have not only life here, that we could have joy and peace, but ultimately he gave it so we could have life eternally and abundantly. Perhaps you'd come to faith in Jesus today. Perhaps you'd come to trust in God and know his love for you, and you'd value that, and you would say right now within the depth of who you are with great with a resounding way with a comforting way Jesus I need you God forgive me of my sins forgive me for living out a way where I don't acknowledge you and I've turned for you but today I want to know you and I want you to draw me nearer to you do a great work in me in Jesus name amen